This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I want to invite your attention to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. We've been looking at what is essential, and we have noted that there is an essential book. That book is the Bible, and that Bible carries an essential message. We looked at that message. That message is the gospel. It's essential that you hear it. It's essential that you believe it. And if you have believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus, it is essential that we who know him are engaged in declaring and proclaiming that message. And now we'll look at one final thought in this series entitled Essential, and that is the essential gathering, the church, the essential gathering. We come to Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 19. The Bible says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we uh, come around your word today, that you, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, would be our teacher, our comforter. Lord Jesus, that you would lead us and speak to us through your word. I pray that the truth of God's word would find fertile ground in our hearts, that we would receive this truth that we would come away from this meeting with a proper understanding of the church and the individual believer's responsibility in it and the fact that it is essential. And we pray that it won't be long before we can all be gathered together, not just simply through the media, or the online presence, but that all of us can be together in person, together in your house, singing praise to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We note the phrase that we find in verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. 
The assembling of ourselves together refers to the public gatherings of the church. We need to understand what a church is, and by definition, a church is not what many think it to be, a building or a meeting place. People drive by this property, and they might say, well, there's the Tabernacle Baptist Church. And that is the meeting place, that is the sanctuary and the education space for the Tabernacle Baptist Church. It belongs to the Tabernacle Baptist Church, and ultimately it belongs to the Lord Jesus, who is the head of the church. But the church is not confined to a building. It is not uh, confined to a particular meeting or meeting place. The church is an assembly by nature. It is an assembly of believers, those who know the Lord as their Savior. And they gather together to worship the Lord Jesus and to edify, to exhort one another. And so they gather together and they grow together in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> and they glow together as they reflect the image of the person of the Son of God. Therefore, we believe that the Bible teaches that the gathering of the church is essential. The assembling of ourselves together, as we find it here in this verse, verse 25, it therefore refers to the public gathering of the church, but not as a solitary or occasional act, but as a customary conduct, a habit, a way of life that the church, by the nature of the definition of the church, the assembly assembles. That's what an assembly does. An assembly assembles faithfully, regularly. Uh, in these verses, we understand that there is, in verse number 20, a new and living way. That new and living way comes to us through the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ who has purchased our access into the presence of the Father. Uh, we stand in grace, the Bible teaches us in the book of Romans, chapter number 5. And this grace wherein we stand has been granted to us through the sacrifice of the Son of God. And when we assemble, that assembly is attached to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are coming to gather together with Christ. I wouldn't want to miss that meeting, would you? Where Jesus is present, he invites us to come. The Bible says in Ephesians that he has raised us up and he has made us sit together with Christ in heavenly places. I wouldn't want to miss that opportunity. In fact, that's a, that's a blood-bought privilege that you and I have every time the doors of the church are open. We come to assemble together with Christ, our new and living way, our access to the Father. Therefore, to forsake the assembly is to betray one's attachment to Jesus Christ and to our fellow believers. And therefore, we are not to avoid the assembling of ourselves together. We are to make this a part of our life, to gather, to worship the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
as citizens of the United States of America, we understand that the gathering of the church is a constitutional right. I want to read to you the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably or, or excuse me, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Uh, we are not to be prohibited to exercise our biblical beliefs, our religious gatherings. And we know that has been a subject of great debate here in our nation in recent months. And we understand that initially uh, we thought it was prudent uh, not to, to gather and as time has unfolded to slowly uh, reintroduce uh, public worship back into the life of the church. We were able to meet together virtually uh, for several weeks, but have in recent months been able to assemble together uh, physically. In fact, recently the uh, Supreme Court ruled that churches in California uh, can now assemble together uh, or in person. And so uh, we're grateful for that decision, aren't we? And we understand that many have continued in, in, in spite of the uh, ordinances that would restrict them from doing so. And it is important to know that it is a constitutional right. And I am grateful that we live in a country uh, that was founded on biblical Christian principles and understands the importance of the church and religious freedom. And we understand that that religious freedom is under attack. But we do have a constitution that mandates that we have a right to assembly. But more importantly, as children of God, we need to understand not only that we have a constitutional right, but that we have a biblical mandate. Here we find in this these verses that we have read this morning in Hebrews chapter 10 that we're commanded not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is a biblical mandate that God's people would be a part of a local New Testament church, an assembly, and that they would faithfully and regularly gather to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the church is essential, and it is essential to the Lord Jesus. Let me just give you three thoughts about uh, the uh, why it is essential to Christ. And this is not the message, but these are just three introductory thoughts. First of all, the Lord Jesus loves the church, and he gave himself for it. That's why it's essential to him. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.25 that the Lord Jesus Christ loved the church, and husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And the Bible said he gave himself for it. He shed his blood upon the cross of Calvary to purchase the church. Not only do we see that he loves the church and he gave himself for it, but we see a second thing. He is the founder of the church. The church is his idea. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18, the Lord Jesus said, And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Whose church is it? It's his church. 
I will build my church, this church where we are gathered today as a body, the Tabernacle Baptist Church as we are identified. This church is not our church. This church is the Lord's church. And he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we see that the church is essential to Christ because he loves the church and he gave himself for it. He is the founder of the church. And then thirdly, we see that he is the head of the church. He's in charge. It's not up to the government to make decisions concerning the church. The government has no authority over the church. Jesus Christ has authority. And we are to follow his commandment. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. <laughs> the church here is referred to as the body, and he is the head. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So we understand that the church is essential. <clears throat> the church is an assembly. We are part of that assembly. And by nature, the definition of the church, we are to assemble together. <clears throat> now, I want you to note three main thoughts this morning. We'll try to get through them. If we don't, we'll finish them next time. But let me give them to you so you can write them down. Number one, we're going to see the fellowship of the church, or excuse me, the function of the church. The function of the church is essential. And then secondly, we're going to note that the fruit of the church is essential. And then finally, we're going to note that the fellowship of the church is essential. So we have the function of the church, the fruit of the church, and the fellowship of the church. I want us to note, first of all, the function of the church. And we note that the function of the church is essential. God who established the church has given to the church a commission, a purpose. The church has a function, and that function is essential. Now, let's note what the function involves. In these verses, there, are a, there is a threefold responsibility that we have as a church. We see, first of all, in verse number 22, there is a Godward responsibility. Our responsibility to God in our worship, in our assembly. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are to gather, uh, we, are to, we are to come into the presence of God with a pure heart. That is our responsibility to God. Our motive is to be sincere. We are to do uh, all that we can endeavor to do to make sure that our, our bodies, our hearts, our minds have been purged and cleansed from an evil conscience, uh, that our sins have been confessed we come before a holy God. We need to recognize that. When we come to church, we are coming into the presence of the Lord Jesus. Now, we're, he is always with us. Is that right? Yes. He is always with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But when we gather together, God is among his people, and his presence is manifest in a way that it is not manifest 
as we go about our daily lives. There is a special bond uh, that we share as we come together into the presence of the king as his people to worship him, and our responsibility is to come prepared and pure as we can be, as we confess our sin to God, as we seek to walk with him. That's our Godward responsibility. Then there is an inward responsibility. We see it in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Do you know we live in a day when so many are wavering in their profession? They, they perhaps at one time were a part of the church, at one time considered themselves to be saints of God, children of God, but no longer. Trials may have come or discouragements may have come. You see, there is an inward responsibility that we would be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would, in the face of discouragement, in the face of difficulty, that we would remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that we would come to him uh, faithfully and that we would hold fast to that commitment, to that profession of faith without wavering. And so many have wavered. May God help us not to waver. They tell us, those who uh, write and advise pastors and talk about trends in the church, that because of the pandemic, many have left the church and will never return. Does it only take a pandemic for us to waver? May God help us not to waver. There's a Godward responsibility. There is an inward responsibility. And then finally, there is a manward responsibility. And of course, this is the focus of, of the passage that we're, the part of the passage that we're examining this morning. And let us consider one another. It's not just simply about you and I. We must understand that we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not only do we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we have a responsibility to a lost and dying world. Let us consider one another. Do you think about your brothers and sisters? Do you think about the state of the church when you try to determine what are you going to do with your time on the Lord's day? or in the prayer meeting time? The Bible says that we are to consider one another. Oftentimes I will tell some of the young men or some of the young ladies who play on the teams here at Tabernacle Christian School, I would say to them, you need to understand that if you do not take care of your individual responsibilities, not only are you hurting yourself, but you are hurting your team. If you don't take care of your academics, you're hurting your team. If you don't take care, if you're, if you're not at practice, if you don't work, if you don't, then, then you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting your team. And what we need to understand is that God has assembled a team on earth, the local church. And our actions or lack of actions can hinder the work of the church. So he says to us, let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We understand that is the manner of some. 
a young man told me that his boss, who professed to be a Christian, said, I have made goals for my life, and let me tell you what one of those goals are. I plan to attend church at least once a month. Well, he's not considering one another, is he? And note what the Bible says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And notice this, at the close of verse 25, you hear me say it often, and so much the more, not so much the less, but so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So it is the function of the church that is essential, the purpose that God has given us. There is a reason that God established the church. There is a purpose that we have. Now, we find in the Old Testament, will you go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31? We find in the Old Testament a pattern, an example for the church. You say, Pastor, why would we find that in Deuteronomy? Well, the Bible speaks of Israel as the church in the wilderness, remember? And uh, they have come to the end of their wilderness wanderings. And in Deuteronomy chapter number 31, Moses is reminding them of, of their responsibility to keep the law of God. And God's promised to them that if they will walk in his truth and in his ways, he will bless them. In Deuteronomy 31 and verse number 12, <clears throat> the Bible says that the Lord commanded the people. Notice in verse 12, gather the people together. There's that word, gather. This is an essential gathering. Gather the people together, men and women and children and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law, and that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. God said to Moses and to the people, you are to gather together. And why is it that you are to gather? Number one, to hear the word of God. Number two, to learn the word of God. Number three, to reverence God, to acknowledge him and fear him. And number four, to obey his commands, to observe and to do. You see, we gather together to hear from God. We gather together not only to hear, but to learn how we may live our lives and how we may please him. We gather together because we believe that God is sovereign over our lives and he has the right and authority to dictate to us how we are to live. And we understand that if we live in obedience to his commands, we will enjoy his blessings. And if we sin against him and rebel against him, then we will suffer the consequences of our sins. And so God said, gather the people together, that they may hear, that they may learn, that they may fear, that they may observe. Now, where are the people to gather? They are to gather with the church. Now, we're talking about the function of the church. 
Now, what is the primary function of the church? Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3, the apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his young son in the faith, and he's trying to encourage Timothy, who has been left in Ephesus, leading the church there. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he gives the qualifications of the pastor and of the deacons. He is speaking about the house of God, the church of God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, he said, These things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, how are you to conduct yourself in the house of God? How are things to be done in the house of God? Who are the leaders? How are they selected? What qualifications must they meet? Paul is saying, I'm giving you these things, and I'm telling you this is how things are to be done in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice this next phrase, the pillar and ground of the truth. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ established his church as the pillar and ground of the truth. He established it upon the foundation of truth. Our church exists because of the truth of the word of God. And we as a church are to seek to adhere to his truth. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 20, Paul wrote this. He said, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We are here and we stand upon the foundation of the truth of the word of God, the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. He's the author of it all. He's the subject of it all. And the apostles and the prophets who make up the Bible, the word of God that you hold in your hand, uh, they are there to declare to us what Jesus has said. And therefore, we have a copy of that today, and we stand upon the word of God. So we do not allow the world to dictate to us what our mission is or what our purpose is. We do not give sway to the opinions of men or the trends of the day. We stand upon the truth of the word of God. Therefore, it is the responsibility of the church which stands upon the foundation of the word of God to proclaim it. What does a pillar do? A pillar holds it up. It upholds the structure. The church, as Paul wrote in Philippians 2, verse 16, is to hold forth the word of life. That's what our mission is. We are to hold forth the truth. We stand on the truth. We hold up the truth. We proclaim the truth to a lost and dying world. And in these critical times, we do not need less of the truth. We do not need less of the function. We need more and more of the assembly and of the proclamation of the truth as we see the day. What day? The day of the return of Christ as we see the day approaching. This is the responsibility of the church. Now, the Lord Jesus commissioned his church, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. 
And that power, that authority is given now to us. We have the authority of God, the authority of the Son of God that grants us this mandate to assemble and to serve and to proclaim the message of the gospel. And with that authority comes the power and the freedom to proclaim the message. Verse 19, go ye therefore, since you have this authority and I have this authority, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. So here we find the mandate for the church. We're to go and preach the gospel. We are to baptize converts, and we are to teach them to observe the truths of God's word. That's what we do on a daily basis in the ministry of the Tabernacle Baptist Church. That is what the role of the assembly is. Now, I want to encourage you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. As we as a church continue to assemble in order that we might hear and learn and observe and, and, and fear, the Lord works in us to bring us to maturity. Now, notice in Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 11, the Bible said he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Here we have those who are gifted to minister to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, what, what, what is the purpose of these, these gifted people in the church? The purpose of it was for the perfecting of the saints, to bring them to completion for the work of the ministry so that they can be thoroughly furnished, truly furnished unto all good works so that they might uh, do the work uh, that God has given us to do. For the edifying of the body of Christ, that means uh, the edification means the promotion of the health of the body. For the growth of the body, for the strengthening of the body, we come as a church to assemble together to hear from the apostles and the prophets as the pastor or other teachers in the church proclaim what the apostles and the prophets have said, and we grow and we learn and we come to maturity and we serve God and do the work that he's called us to do. Verse 14, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We do not compare ourselves with ourselves. We compare ourselves with the, with the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is his purpose? It is to bring us to conformity to the image of Jesus that we might look like him, that we might grow up into him in all things. 14, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. You see, until you become mature, you are a child. And have you ever met, and you don't have to look at anybody or even shake your head, a spiritually immature person? people that get offended easily or angry easily. 
get discouraged easily, get out of church easily. He says that we henceforth be no more children. No, that we might grow up, he said unto them, unto Christ. Not tossed, verse 14, to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, that's all the individual believers, fitly joined together. We have been placed here together by the sovereign hand of God and compacted. That means we've been joined together by that which every joint supplieth. We minister to one another. We're dependent upon one another. We need one another in order that we may grow and that we may come to maturity. The whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Do you know that every person here has a role to play? You have an important and vital role in the church, and the health of the church depends upon you. It maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You and I being present, praying for one another, loving one another, exhorting one another, admonishing one another, encouraging one another. We individually promote the health of the entire body of Christ. And therefore, strengthening the church enabling the church to perform the work of the ministry and to bring lost souls to Christ. Now, go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. Now Paul is writing to Timothy. This is his last letter. And Timothy is facing persecution. His health is obviously not fully where it ought to be or where he would have wanted it to be. Uh, his resolve may have been wavering. Persecution was no doubt intense. His heart was gripped at times with fear. And Paul is encouraging him to be strong. We come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Here's the charge, verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The apostle Paul said, Timothy, you need to realize the time is coming when men will not endure sound doctrine, and the time has come. The time has come. So what are you to do, Timothy? Get discouraged and stop? No. I charge you, verse number two, preach the word. 
What is the church to do? It is to continue to preach the word of God. And that charge is not just simply given to Timothy. It's given to all of the church at Ephesus. What is the responsibility and role of the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina, in this community where God has placed us? It is to preach the word and declare the message of God to this community and to this state and throughout the nation and world. And it's not going to be an easy task. Why? Because sound doctrine and the truth is under attack. Isaiah, in his day, Isaiah 59, 16 said, truth is fallen in the street. We understand that's happening in our nation. Hosea said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Paul warned the believers at Colossae, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You know, it has become fashionable today to criticize and tear down the church. Don't be spoiled by that crowd. Their podcasts, their remarks, their posts, and their attacks. Understand that we are a part of the church of the living God. And there is a work to be done. And Jude admonished us that we would earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Listen, the church is not perfect. No person in the church is perfect. No leader in the church is perfect. But the Lord of the church is perfect. And we assemble together to worship him. Quite simply, what I want to say to you to conclude this thought is that I need the church, and so do you. You need the influence of the church. May I say to you that your children need the influence of the church. I stand before you this morning because of a faithful pastor and a faithful congregation I don't have any horror stories to tell you about growing up in church. I don't have any criticisms to offer in the audience of a lost and dying world concerning the people who did their best to love me and to lead me and to teach me the truth. Did they make mistakes? Absolutely. Have I, as a pastor, repeated those mistakes? Absolutely. I have no criticisms to offer. I only have gratitude to express. I am here because of the church. I am on my way to heaven because of the church. I'm here because people love me. I'm here because of, 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 of the faithful Sunday school teachers the Dixie Halls and the Ken Reeds. I'm here because of faithful Christians like Jewel Martin, Carl Maloney, Bill Wright, Bill Pierce. I can't name them all. 
Barry McDonald, people that you don't know and have never met. Let me tell you, I'm here because of them. I'm here because of the church. I need the church. Oh, in these evil days, how we need the church. I do not want to be guilty of hurting the church and hindering the church. I want to be faithful to God's church. My kids need it. My grandchildren need it. The generations to come need the influence of the church, the function of the church is essential. Do you believe that this morning? Then let me ask you, if you believe that this morning, then what has God said to you about your commitment to his church, your faithfulness, your giving, your serving, your attending, your supporting, your encouragement in the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.